1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. If you look forward to this podcast every week and you feel like you're getting really good information, we would love it if you would post a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find us and helps other people understand what they're going to get if they do listen, so we would appreciate it. We have as I always say, a really good uh, show for you today. We're going to be talking about supplements. It is that time of year, and we're kicking things off by talking about Wake Forest supplements. So if you're thinking of applying, we have some good thoughts on what they're asking you to write. And then for all artists out there, we're going to share what you need to know about applying to visual and fine arts programs. But before we get to that, FAFSA. I'm sure this is top of mind for a lot of people, and my colleague and former financial aid officer at Southern New Hampshire University, Alex Bickford, he's here, and he is going to talk to me about the FAFSA. Hi, Alex. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thank you. When I emailed you about this yesterday, I said I swear this is the thing that comes up the most frequently, and for whatever reason, I can never seem to get my wrap my arms around all the different angles of the FAFSA. And so um, I am assuming if I have these questions that our listeners also have these questions. Um, So I'm going to jump right in. Very first question for you, which is, what even is the FAFSA?
2: What is it? Sure. Absolutely. So uh, the FAFSA, it stands for uh, free application for federal student aid. That's the, the term. What it really means for for families is that is your gateway to applying for need based financial aid at the vast majority of colleges out there. So if you're looking to apply for need based financial aid or have your students or even yourself at some point take on student loans. This is kind of the starting gate of that.
1: Right. And I think you just mentioned something key, but we will get back to that. Uh, I think the very first thing that I do want to mention. So this show is airing right at the end of or close to the end of September. uh, And the FAFSA is going to become available in October. When do families file it? When do they need to get this completed and sent out to the colleges?
2: So it depends on the family. Uh, I would say for the vast majority of families who, once again, are looking for need based financial aid, uh, I would say prior to November 1st. So, especially if you're applying early action or early decisions, colleges are going to require the FAFSA and possibly the CSS profile that I know we're talking a little bit more about on future episodes. Uh, but they're going to require both those forms likely by November 1st. So, if you do it prior to November 1st, you're going to meet or beat. Any of the college's deadlines uh, that are out there. Now, one thing I would say is don't do it October 1st. Don't do it October 2nd. Maybe don't even do it October 3rd. (laughs) Uh, There are glitches that kind of work themselves out. The system gets overrun with families that are in there working on this process. Give it a week. Let the system calm down a little bit. Work out its glitches and then go back.
1: Okay. I think that's really excellent advice. I'm going to just little shout out for when you're submitting actual applications, give sort of similar advice around not waiting until the last day. So while glitches may have worked themselves out, you also don't want to wait till the last day possible because a lot of other people are waiting till the last day, which creates additional glitches. So right, just exactly. shout out for that. Um, all right. So getting back to the thing you mentioned right at the beginning, um, families who are looking for aid or perhaps want to take out some loans. So that leads me to the bigger question. And we do get this question every year. You tell me it has to be the most commonly asked financial aid question. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would guess this is one of, maybe one of, and that is, do you file it even if you're not gonna qualify for aid or you don't think you'll qualify for aid?
2: Yeah, so you mentioned that it's difficult for you to wrap your head around this topic. Yes. Uh, and part of the reason is, is because this advice changes almost every year, seemingly, mm. uh, because the policies within colleges change every year, seemingly. So the general rule of thumb is that most families should fill out the fast form. Uh, The families certainly who are seeking aid or seeking loans should uh, aid, especially should. Um, If you're looking for just merit or if you're looking for just loans, the question is, do you need to file it in the very beginning uh, or does it make sense to wait? So for families who are seeking merit aid only, a lot of it has to do with the colleges that they're applying to. So, The vast majority of colleges out there do not require the FAFSA, or the CSS profile to be considered for merit aid. However, last year, especially, this had shifted a bit. So it used to be the vast majority and almost all didn't require it. And now there are a few more popping up that do require it. So uh, my concern was saying a blanket statement, no, you don't need to fill it out or you yeah. just can wait. Uh, uh, it could be one of those you know, 20 schools out there that are now requiring it for merit purposes. So. My best piece of advice is if you're concerned, if you're looking for merit aid, to certainly research the schools, Uh, go to the school's financial aid page, see if it's required uh, for the merit process, or fill it out as a safety precaution so you're not missing any opportunities uh, that you may have missed otherwise.
1: Right. And I and anyone who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that we almost never make blanket statements because we can not make them because that'll be the one time there'll be an exception to the rule. But I think this is a good example of the fact that there is a generally an exception to the rule. And I do want to also hit on one of the things that you said, because I'm going through this process this year as well. We're not sure if we're going to qualify for aid. Um, i don't think we're going to qualify for aid however i know my my son is going to probably work on campus and we also might want to for a variety of reasons take out a loan a federally subsidized loan and i can't do he can't get work study and i can't do the loan unless we fill out the fafsa correct
2: That is correct. Absolutely. Those federal programs, this is the kind of, once again, the gateway to qualifying for those. So Beth, in your situation, and then in family situations like yours, there may be a question of, okay, uh, there's always the thought of, well, if I apply, if I do the FAFSA, am I going to be considered that I'm applying for financial aid? Yes. And may that hurt my admissions, uh, chances. And so certainly you can speak to this, uh, as well as I can, uh, but there's a couple of things to remember. So, and I'll let you handle kind of the common app side of this. (laughs) Uh, From from my perspective, you can always let the college know once you've filled out the FAFSA, that I am not seeking, we are not seeking need-based financial aid. We are seeking only merit-based aid and the opportunity for federal work study or federal student loan program. Right. So if you're concerned about the admissibility decision there, Uh, On those kind of need aware schools, uh, which means schools that consider the family's ability to pay uh, in this process, uh, you can let the school know that that I'm not considering uh, need based financial aid.
1: Right. And that's pretty simple. It's a box. You either check the box you're applying for aid or you check check yes, you check no. Pretty straightforward. I think the other thing too, and I did not work at a school that was need need aware, but some of my colleagues have. And one of the things that we've talked about is the fact that um, filling out the FAFSA and even saying that you're going to apply for financial aid regardless. If your um, forms, if your FAFSA shows that you have certainly more than enough income to afford that school, no one's going to, it doesn't really factor. The the key there, if they're need aware, is they are the financial aid office. And Alex, obviously you could talk to this piece, is looking at that and deciding how much need the student will have. Typically at those need aware schools, it's a very small percentage of the students who might end up tipped out of the class because, and in this case, it's typically because the need is so great that they have don't have the funds for that student or they can't fund that many students with that much aid. But maybe you speak to this a little bit more because you are the financial aid expert. Yeah.
2: So so there's a couple of things that are happening there. So uh, the one thing to think about here, and I think a lot of people get a bad taste in their mouth when there are need aware schools out there. But we have to remember schools don't have unlimited budgets. They can't right. fully fund the need of every student who's going Most there. schools, Some most, can, right. but most schools can't. Right. Exactly. So the concern there is if the school isn't able to fund everybody's need to what they're eligible for, the school has to make decisions on who they want to fund, who they don't wanna fund, but also who, if they accept and don't fund, will end up with a much larger burden of student loan debt uh, Mm -hmm. if they attend that school. So they're trying to make a decision of maybe this student can get an education elsewhere at a lower cost than us, that that school may be able to afford them more of the aid that they're eligible for than we can. So you're right. It only impacts the students who are probably towards the bottom of the the school's acceptance class. Yes, that's key. Students who have much greater need uh, than other students may uh, have.
1: And then there are schools where basically you can apply for aid, you could have high need and they will admit you and not give you the aid you need, right? That's called gapping. So in those cases, if you've applied and they want you, they're going to take you regardless of whether they can fund
2: you. So then there's that other piece, right? Right. Which is leading. That's exactly it. So it's kind of the double edged sword. Do you want to be accepted and not get the aid that you need to really make the college affordable or would you prefer to be denied outright? So they've made the decision for you. Right. Uh, And and so it's kind of that double edged sword because it does lead to families considering, geez, this was the top choice school. Uh, Is this something we stretch for? Are we able to are we going to take out more loans than maybe we would have otherwise uh, to pay for this school because it's their dream? Right. Uh, And so I think it puts families, especially kind of those middle income, lower income families, in a really difficult position to make a decision that maybe otherwise, if emotions weren't involved, they wouldn't otherwise make. They would never make. Sometimes
1: yeah. the school just takes that out of their hands. Yeah, I mean, and I, I kudos to those schools. Um, we see too many families making bad decisions that are more emotional than rational. And I do appreciate it if a school turns a student down because they can't fund them. And I would encourage families out there who need funds to embrace that as well, because it will ultimately lead to better decision making. This does lead me, though, to Alex, to um, to ask that question around you know, what do you say to families who could use some aid are opting not to complete the FAFSA before they apply because they're, they don't want the decision to, you know, well, we need aid. We don't want them to know that. We want to get in. And then we're going to file the FAFSA. I, I'm just going to, before I send it over to you, I'm just going to say, When something sounds like too good of a plan to be true and how come everybody else doesn't do it? It's usually because it doesn't work and it's a bad plan. So anyway, I'll let you take that.
2: So The first thing I always say to families, if you need aid and if you need the cost to be come down to a certain level in order for the college to be affordable, well then it doesn't matter if you get in or not, if the college isn't gonna be affordable, you need to complete the applications. And the best piece of advice that I can give is to make sure you're meeting or beating any deadline out there. So my worry is, once again, this blanket statement, I'm going to wait until I'm accepted. Yep. Then I'm going to file the FAFSA. Is that all the schools that you've been accepted to, inevitably, one of them is going to have a priority deadline that is before you're accepted. Uh, yep. And you're going to miss out on some really good opportunities there. Yep. Uh, so it's generally not a good piece of advice to wait because you might get those acceptances in March and their priority deadline could have been November 1st or December 1st or January 1st. And once again, you don't wanna miss those deadlines. So and uh, the other thing I'll say is that once again, not for every school, but the vast majority of schools do do some form of, as you said, gapping, right? They don't meet a hundred percent of the eligibility there. One way to increase the eligibility you may have, or increase or decrease the gap, is getting in by that priority deadline. Yeah, not missing that priority deadline. Uh, so uh, I, I always am of the at, at the advice that if you're questioning it at all, you should probably do it. Yeah, uh, and maybe you don't do it in future years. Maybe you don't need to, but the freshman year for the freshman year. Do it and do it by November 1st. Right.
1: The the one thing that I will say, too, is that there are some schools out there that if you don't apply for aid when you apply for freshman admission, you can never apply for aid again. So if anything goes wrong, you thought you had the nest egg all set aside and then... It goes up in smoke because the stock market has a challenge, whatever it is, right? Then now you're completely out of luck because their policy says you can't come back to us later and ask for aid.
2: Right. And Beth, you know, we are in, obviously, you know, in a multiple time financially for families. So one thing about the FAFSA is that they're they're taking consideration from income two years back. So when you're looking at two years back, a lot has changed in the world in the last two years. Yes. Uh, Income has changed drastically in the last two years. So while you may have been fully employed back in 2020, and you may have been doing very well financially back in 2020, you know, the last year may have really not been great for you. Mm -hmm. uh, You might be eligible now. So the financial aid appeal process is really important. And the first step of that, once again, is you've got to get the financial aid forms in to be considered. Right. Okay, so we have established, if you need aid, if you
1: think you might want to take out loans, federally subsidized loans, if your student is going to do work study, if your financial situations potentially could change in the future, while your child is still in college, if those apply to you, you should be filling out the FAFSA. Is there any time that you would say a family should not complete the FAFSA?
2: So, the only family that it really shouldn't complete the FAFSA is a family that the schools that they're applying to either do not offer merit uh, or do not require the FAFSA for merit. That family does not need and will not need to borrow federal student loans. And their financial situation is stable to the point where they don't foresee in the next four years a likely circumstance that they're going to need assistance. Right then that family is of the the closest that I would say to, yeah, you probably don't have to fill it out right now. Uh, Maybe we can wait and see, or maybe you don't have to fill it out at all. That would be the closest.
1: Right, right. But, you know, for all the reasons we've laid out, there doesn't seem, there's really no downside to completing the FAFSA. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so, all right. Uh, I'm feeling. I literally, as you are talking, I am thinking I want to send this segment out into the world, the world of our colleagues, the world of my families that I'm working with, because I think we've answered all the questions that come up. And is there anything I've forgotten or have we basically covered it?
2: I think surrounding this topic, we've covered. It. I'm certainly okay. there's much more, but yes.
1: <laughs> okay, so next week Alex will not be here, but one of my colleagues will, and they're going to be talking about the CSS Profile, which is a second set of financial aid forms that are required at some schools. Much smaller number of schools. Um, the FAFSA is everywhere. The this is the CSS Profile is 200 schools, maybe yep. maybe less, about 200.
2: Yep, yeah. 200, 300. Yep.
1: Two to 300, okay, two to 300. Anyway, we're gonna have way more details on that next week. um, So you're gonna wanna come back for that segment. For now, we are gonna take a quick break. Alex, thank you so much for joining today.
2: No, absolutely, thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, I love it, you answered all my questions. Um, And when you come back, we are going to be talking about visual and fine arts majors, so don't go away.
0: You are listening to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. Uh, We are talking about applying for visual and fine arts program. Uh, programs. And joining me today is my colleague, Julia Jones, who's a former admissions officer at Brandeis. Hi, Julia. Hey, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. When we were preparing for today's segment, Julia said to me, I'm not really an artist, but I've worked with a number of students applying to art programs. I would just beg to differ. Julia is an unbelievable knitter, and she also creates these amazing Christmas cards every year. So, Julia, with all due respect, I consider you an artist. I I don't think you should downplay that.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I think crafter or maker, I I would probably go with, but yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) Uh,
1: I do no crafting. I do no making. In my mind, that's art. So uh, I'm sticking with it. Okay. (laughs) Back to the task at hand. Um, So I think the first place probably to start are the different college options that are available to students who want to pursue something in the visual and and or fine arts. So can you talk to us a little bit about the different types of programs that are out there and available to
3: students? Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's usually where I start when I work with a student who may have an interest in doing something in, in visual arts or design, um, is to really think about like what, to, what what experience do you want? You know, there are different types of schools. There are, you know, the art schools, schools that really are kind of what I would call specialty schools. They really focus in on, um, on art, um, and that's really all they do they do. So, Mm -hmm. you know, different, and, and they all have different, um, elements of art. There are so many different uh, disciplines within that, too. So it's a big umbrella, but, you know, it can include everything from um, fine art or studio art to architecture, um, fashion design, uh, product design, and and uh, um, and even some, you know, graphic design and, and even game design, too. So, right. um, so I think, so there are definitely schools and schools that you probably have heard of, schools like, you know, Rhode Island School of Design or Savannah College of Art and Design, um, uh, Maryland and, uh, College Institute of Art. So there are definitely, you know, art art programs. And for yeah. students who are really focused and that's what they want and they want to do it and they, they know for sure and that's not going to likely um, change, that could be a great option. Um, and then there are really amazing art uh, majors and programs in art and design. At more traditional kind of four, broader four-year institutions, you know, the schools that um, that may offer a great business program or great engineering or arts and sciences, but also do have often a separate school of art and design um, that that students can do. So it, it gives you a little bit more flexibility if you want to study other things, if you decide midstream that you want to change your major or want to change your mind. So I think there's there're definitely pros and cons to both to both. Uh, Paths. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, I
1: think of a place like Penn, where there was a, a fine arts major, there was an art major that you could do at Penn, but you know, portfolio wasn't really part of the process necessarily. It wasn't required, and really, you just had to be strong enough to get into Penn. It was less about that versus you know an art only school where the only thing you were going to study there was going to be art or even architecture. Again, at Penn, oh. no portfolio, but at a place like Cornell there's a whole school of architecture and a portfolio is required there so a lot of different options as you as you know and a lot of different ways to l- study art it's not just painting and sculpting like you said it's product design game design fashion design right so many different um when people think about yeah. art and i think sometimes when parents think about paying for their student to study art in school i think what i would love to highlight here is that there are a lot of different ways you can be involved in art and a lot of them pay really good money um yeah. you know yeah. you don't have to be the starving artist in a studio <laughs> so um well speaking of portfolios this is obviously a big part of applying for this type of major at the schools that require portfolios What's some advice you can give here to students?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that probably the biggest advice is start early. You know, and I think that's, that's advice we give for a in a lot yes. of ways and a lot of reasons, but it is, it's starting early. Um, you know, your portfolio is meant to be a reflection of who you are as an artist, how you've grown over. It. And so, you know, it's obviously something that you want to be working on, not necessarily a month before the applications are yes. due. I don't think that's even possible. Um, so, you know, starting early, you know, get advice. You know, when I work with students, um, I'm not a, a trained artist, let's just say. So I'm not, I've never put together a portfolio. I don't. And so, um, you know, that. That's not my what I'm helping them with, but I get to help tell them. You know, you have people in your world that can help you with this. You know, most many students are usually taking art in school. Um, AP Art usually is focused on building that portfolio. Um, right. So you know, connect with your teacher. Um, if you have other artists that you've worked with, um, art teachers outside of school, those are great people. They know you as an artist, they can help you, you know, to put together what you put together your portfolio and and tell you what might be lacking, what, what you might need to do. So, um, yeah.
1: Um, and, and so just general, can you walk us through what you see or what you have seen as kind of the general requirements for a portfolio in terms of number Mm -hmm. of pieces,
3: that kind of thing? Yeah, it really does vary from school to school, but I think a general portfolio usually is somewhere between 12 to 15 pieces, Mm -hmm. Um, and and they should be kind of reflections of, you know, of who you are as an artist, Um, you know, maybe, you know, what media do you work with, Um, you know, maybe how you've grown. So different pieces that show the diversity of your style, Um, you know, ideally they should show you as an individual too. So uh, if you're not, you know, they should reflect, I mean, some of them will probably be from Um, your art class, Mm -hmm. but they shouldn't all be things that you've done in class. I think they should set you apart in some way, kind of in the same way that when we talk about the, you know, the, the written essay for Mm -hmm. most athletes you know, that should be a little piece of who you are as a person and think of your portfolio as a way to really show who you are as an artist. Um, and you know, it may be that you're really passionate and focused in one or one or two media styles and that's okay. Or it might be that you, you know, you've really experimented. And so, um, so there's no right or wrong. It's just really what's going to be your best things that you're most proud of, but that are also going to give you, um, you know, really show, show your growth and development as an artist.
1: Right. And Of course, if they're interested, they should be looking at the portfolio requirements on their individual schools of interest because each one might have some unique thing that they specifically want. And to your point, you really can't leave this stuff to the last minute. Um, I wouldn't think, I don't know, I'm not an artist, so I don't think you could sit down though at a canvas and bang something out in an evening and say, this is really
3: representative of, of
1: what I'm capable of. No, and, no, yeah. it's not.
3: And I think that, you know, it, it mean it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't have some original pieces that you're working on for, you know, for that, but it is, yeah, it's not something you want to be doing, you know, a few weeks before or, you know, or, or earlier or sooner rather. Um, so, I mean, I think that, and there are definitely definitely some schools that have specific requirements, you know, there are two colleges that I've worked with students who apply to. I mentioned Rhode Island School of Design, um, Parsons in New York City. They both have kind of almost like an assignment that you have to do. Um, and they're pretty in depth, um, you know, Parsons, it's called the Parsons Challenge. And they, they ask for, not, you know, a, a, a original piece from something uh, from your portfolio, like a corresponding to a theme. And then they want to see the development and then there's writing that goes with mm, it too. They want yeah. you to write about, about the process. Um, RISD has a similar thing where they, um, they have, they give you different words that, and you have to kind of create an original piece and they want to see the prep work, the progress. So um, again, not something even looking at it, I'm like, wow, it's, it's intense. And it's not something I think you could, you know, really do, uh, you know, in just a day. It, it yeah. definitely takes some time.
1: Yeah. And, and actually, with that top of mind, what in your mind is probably the most important piece of getting this process right?
3: I mean, I think and it's, it's very similar to what we talk about in general for, you know, for any uh, program that you're applying to, organization, crucial, yep. crucial, yep. crucial. You know, um, I, one of my students from this past year who's starting at University of Michigan in their design program, you know, she applied to a reasonable number of schools. You know, and by mm-hmm. reasonable, I think we, hit, we her list was about 10 schools, mm-hmm. evenly balanced. She followed, yep. followed my advice and did but- – right thing. But you know, what was interesting, it really was a lot of work because almost every school, you know, somehow she could use the same portfolio, but some schools had additional writing. They wanted mm-hmm. to know, you know, either an essay or a few short questions about again, her as an artist. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was just a lot of moving pieces and we wouldn't have gotten through it if we didn't really start early, stay organized, stay on track and, um, and really put it all together, but it was a lot of work. So. Yeah. I mean,
1: you're so right when you say we talk about this all the time and it's really good for everybody who is applying to college, but it is one thing to to know that you have to write a main essay and a couple of supplemental essays and have the deadlines to get it in. It's an entirely new thing when you toss all of these other assignments into the mix that can take longer and they also may be things you've never done before, right? So if you're an artist yeah. and you've never written about your process or how you come up with an idea for a piece, maybe you've never thought about how you come up with an idea for a piece. You Maybe it's always an assignment, yeah. right? Or you just sit down and you're like, oh, I'm going to paint that wall, whatever it is. Bad example. Yeah. But, you know, like I'm going to paint what's on that wall, what I see. If you haven't thought about your process or, you know, how you think through creating your own art, that's, that's going to stretch
3: yeah, a lot yeah. of students, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I mean, it's not, it's hard, but it's definitely as an artist, you, it's just something you want to think about. And, and colleges aren't expecting students to be, you know, fully formed, you know, artists ready to have their own show. I mean, some, some are, but right. I think, you know, they they know we're all works in progress. So it's yes. trying to out again what they just want to know a little bit more about you right now as an artist where you are who's influenced you what your goals are what you um and and just and how you approach uh you know uh, that uh your, your any project or any piece so right yeah. exactly exactly
1: so the yeah. last thing I wanted to talk about was um National Portfolio Day so this is a key this can be really important for students tell us a little bit more about that
3: yeah. It's a grouping. There's, I think about a hundred, over a hundred schools that are a part of it. It's, they do, um, uh, events around the country. They do virtual events too. Um, and it's an opportunity, as I mentioned earlier, to get help, you know, have people look at, at your portfolio to look at your, um, you know, what you've put together before you submit it. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like a college fair, but for art mm-hmm. schools and you can, you know, set up a, t- a time to talk to. So if you're applying to, um, to RISD, if you're applying to SCAD, if you're applying to Michigan or, or Cornell, you can, you know, you can go there and they will take a 15 minute look at the admissions officer who who works for that program will give you some pointers and tell you, you know, maybe what, you know, what you need to add or what your, how your portfolio looks. So um, it can be really, you know, and it's a great way to show your interest and, and, you know, I would treat it kind of like a little bit of a mini interview, if you will, but it really has a purpose beyond that where it really can help you um, to understand what they might be looking for in a portfolio and give you some opportunity to, to get to improve it. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. And what a brilliant opportunity, because there typically is no opportunity for you to show up at a place where 100 schools are there, you could show them your essay and say, hey, what should I be working on here? Um, so, and that's probably a good thing, but that, I digress. A, a hundred yeah. different colleges just went, oh my God, the idea of doing that, right? I can't even imagine. <laughs> but the art feels like maybe that would be a little bit easier to to address. Um, so yeah, absolutely something to take advantage of. I, something else, if you don't see the school you're interested in has a portfolio day, you could request a meeting with someone in the art department. That's something that you could always ask for. And if they have someone available and you could bring your work and they might be willing to give you a, a quick assessment of it. I you know, can't promise that. But if you're going to be visiting schools, they're open and they're uh, you know, open to visitors. It could never it, I don't think it will ever yes. hurt to at least ask the question.
3: Absolutely. And it's, again, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're touring. If you were an engineering student, you'd be touring the engineering facility. You're going to probably want to see the facilities and the studio and everything. So if you are, or even if it's virtual and you, and they're doing, you know, so if you have an opportunity to connect, um, over, you know, over zoom or over, uh, you know, even over the phone, it's hard to do that over the phone, but I think, you know, either way, trying to really, um, you know, to get them to take a, qu- a quick look or even talk about what they might be expecting in a portfolio. I think that will really, really help.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. And I think the last thing I would say too is for parents out there or students too who are sort of thinking, well, I love art. I'd love to study art. What am I going to do with it when I graduate? Another thing that you could do is talk to them about, you know, where do students go on from here? What where, where are they working? What companies hire them? What kinds of jobs are they doing? So that you can wrap your brain around, what the opportunities will be and if those sound like interesting ones to you.
3: Yeah, and I think also even art specific art schools that may not necessarily have, you may think, oh, well, I I wanna study business or get a handle on that. Um, You know, a lot of art schools, that's part of their curriculum too. They're really helping students. You know, they know that you can't just, they're not just gonna let you out in the world with, an, with you know, some amazing art and some amazing talent with not, you know, without the practical skills. So um, right. I have a student at Savannah College of Art and Design, and she, um, you know, was doing product design and yeah, took a, quite a, a number of marketing and, and, you know, classes that really helped to, from the business side of, of things too. So Right, right. Yeah. which
1: So something to look for when you're looking at these programs is mm-hmm. what are they combining with the art that will help you be prepared, like you say, to, to go out into the world ready to do this for a living rather than something you're going to just do in a studio. So Julia, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are talking about the supplements for Wake Forest. So don't go away.
0: You are listening to getting in a college coach conversation to submit a question for an upcoming listener Q and a segment, or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to getting at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to getting in a college coach conversation. It is that time of year where seniors are working or when, excuse me, seniors are working on applications and, With applications come supplemental essays. What are those you may ask? Well, the common application is wonderful because you write one main essay and it's used for all of the schools on your list, but then individual schools may also have some essays that they would ask you to write. uh, And those are called supplemental essays and i am excited to welcome my colleague who um used to help us produce this show uh and now uh just joins us as a guest which is wonderful and uh christine kennan and christine is a former uh, admissions officer at babson college and she also was a student interviewer and scholarship reviewer at um both unc and duke hi christine how are you hi Beth. i'm great how are you um good thank you so We're kicking off the uh, supplemental essay segments with the supplements for Wake Forest. And I will be honest, when I went to get their essays for this year, I was kind of shocked. So Wake Forest traditionally has had somewhere in the range of eight to nine. And I apologize if anyone from Wake Forest is listening, but I think it was eight to nine essays, mostly short, that students had to write. And every time I had a student who was applying to Wake Forest, I would think, "Oi, this supplement is so long. And I did have students who would sometimes decide not to apply. And so I did often think, hey, you know, maybe it's a good thing to have this because they're only going to get the students who are most interested in them, who are willing to fill out this supplemental, this series of supplemental essays. So I was
4: surprised. Were you surprised when you saw the the questions? I was too, because my recollection has been just the same as yours, and that Wake Forest has some of the lengthiest, mm-hmm. uh, you know, supplemental essay requirements. But what I really like is that I think they they've kept the core of the essay, the supplemental essays, if you can call them essays, responses that sure. I always found most interesting. So mm-hmm. I really like that they are making this process just a little bit easier for students in terms of the amount of work that they're requiring to apply without losing the focus of why they have the supplemental essays.
1: Yes, I I would agree. I would agree. And um, on some level, they've really cut it way back. You could say they've cut it to one, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. Let's start with the first uh, one that they're asking for, and it is pretty straightforward. How did you become interested in Wake Forest University? Feel free to tell us about any contact you had with Wake Forest that was important to you. And it's a 150 words maximum. So to your point, is it an essay? It's sort of a mini essay. It's not very long. What are your
4: thoughts on this one? I think this is a pretty straightforward response that many colleges will have as part of a supplemental response. Um, And I think given the fact that Wake Forest is pretty candid and... uh, Pretty transparent about the fact that they want you to engage with them. By you, I mean students. They want students to connect with them, they want yes. to learn about why you like Wake Forest what you would be excited to do if you were there. They encourage interviews. I think this supplement makes a lot of sense. And it's an opportunity for students to say, I love the virtual tour that I took of Wake Forest and learning about the campus tradition of toilet papering the quad after football wins. I interviewed with so-and-so, which made me so excited to do X, Y, or Z. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just straightforward to the point, 150 words to allow Wake Forest to understand how you've chosen to engage with them right and if you've done this kind of
1: they likely have a record of it in the admissions office but what they're also trying to gauge is what were the most meaningful elements of that of that connection that you've made with the with
4: the university right that that's kind of how i look at it too Definitely, because these universities that have the luxury of choice, which means Mm -hmm. they get more applicants than seats available. They're not just admitting students who can handle the work academically, because that's probably 80 percent of the students who apply to Wake Forest. They're choosing students who they actively want to be members of the Wake Forest community. And so these responses allow you as the student to be able to say, hey, these are some things I'm interested in that I learned about when I connected with you. And here's how I could envision being a good roommate, a good community member um, and what I'm excited to to take advantage of if I were to be admitted. Right, right.
1: Okay, so the next question or the next segment of their supplemental essays um, is where, you know, if you want, you could just do that one. It's a one and done, you do that 150 words, you're done, which is a far ways away from what it used to be. But in the next section, they say, we welcome the opportunity to get to know you beyond the numbers which to the point you just made, lots of people have the numbers, you are invited to answer any, all, or none of the following optional short response questions. What are your thoughts about
4: any, all, or none? (laughs) I would definitely err on the side of caution and do any or all. I would not recommend no. doing none yes. <laughs> simply because, again, Wake Forest wants you to engage with them. They welcome it. They track it. And choosing not to opt in to let them know about your personality and things you like and don't like, it may make them doubt that you're going to engage with the community when you get there. Um, right. So I, I think when essays like this are optional, they're not really optional. Um, I think that a truly optional essay is talk to us about how COVID has impacted your family or let us know if there's been a disruption in your educational experience. Those make sense. It's you've either had that experience or you haven't. So that's Mm -hmm. optional. Stuff like this, especially when it's kind of fun, give us your top 10 list take 15 minutes to to think about it and then sit down and write something because it may well, make a difference.
1: Well exactly and quite honestly if you don't respond I also think there is the question well how interested is this student really in us? And even the most spectacular student they want to know that you're likely to come if they admit you and this is one of the ways in which they might gauge that is do are you taking the time? Are you putting in the time to answer these questions? So I'm with you. I would go with any or all. I would probably say all, but certainly not none. Um, All right. First one, list five books you've read that intrigued you. Explain how a book you've read has helped you to understand the world's complexity. Again, these are all 150 words
4: max. Short, sweet, to the point. This gives Wake Forest insight into what you like to read, how you think about the world. The world is a complicated place, as we all know, especially in the last 18 months, two years, there's been a lot going on. So when you as a student have the choice, you have some time to read a book, whether it is by choice or it's been assigned by school, but it made you think in in a different way. It allowed you to empathize with someone else, to put yourself in someone else's shoes, or simply to learn about a reality that isn't your own. That's what they want to learn about. How did this shift your worldview These are the types of conversations they want students to be having once they get to campus, inside of the classroom, maybe outside of the classroom. And so this just gives a little bit of insight into how your mind thinks and different ways in which you approach those who might have a different background than you, which is important.
1: Right. And the only thing I would add there is, well, two things. When they say list, it can literally be a list and it's not a book report. Right. It's about how you think and react to the to the to underscore the point that you were making. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, here is the second optional, not really optional. Tell us more about the topic that most engages your intellectual curiosity. Again, 150 words, Max.
4: So I've really honed in on the intellectual um, curiosity piece of this. Uh, I was lucky enough to tour Wake Forest and spend some time on campus back in the fall of 2019, before the world changed. Yes. Um, but it was really helpful because a lot of what the admission counselor talked about in the information session, a lot of what the student discussed on the tour and kind of snippets of conversations I overheard when I was getting coffee, uh, had to do with research. It had to do with um, things of an academic nature that uh, Wake Forest is particularly proud of. They really emphasized how they always have Rhodes Scholars. They always have people receiving these grants to do incredible research. They were opening up some sort of new science cent- center right in downtown there. So I think that Wake Forest is truly trying to understand are you a student who's going to embrace the academic culture that is the heartbeat of Wake Forest? And if so, just give us some insight. What excites you? And so I think writing about something that has a bit of an intellectual bent to it is important versus saying, you know, I've always been fascinated with yo-yoing might be the (laughs) case, but unless that has led you to make other observations and connections, you might want to focus on something else.
1: Well, right. If yo-yoing takes you to exploration in physics, which has led you to an interest in majoring in quantum physics, awesome. Right? But if yo-yoing is just, it's a great way to get outside and I have fun with my friends and I have a group of people and we all yo-yo together, that is a great example. And we try to think about how to do a better job of it, but you never mention physics. You never bring the intellectual element in. That probably doesn't work, right, for this one. Um, Okay, let's go to the last one, possibly my favorite one. Um, And this is, again, optional, but not really. Give us your top 10 list and its theme. Maximum of 100 characters each. That is different. 100 characters is not the same as words. Generally, that may include spaces. And it's, I I believe, I haven't worked on this specifically on the Common App, but you will have 100
4: characters for each of the items on your top 10 list. Right. And it's a list again. So this should be something kind of fun. Again, gives insight into your personality, how you like to spend your free time. I think this truly is, I mean, Wake Forest has had this question for many, many years. And I think, I think it's a fun one. And when I was reading applications and you're getting into like the middle of the winter and you're tired and you're trying to really engage and understand who the student is, it's kind of fun to have a little bit of an insight into, you know, what they're Joy, right, right. And so I I appreciate this one a lot. I think it's probably my favorite too, because students can have fun with it. You can list your top ten favorite coffees that you will order at a coffee shop. You can list the top ten baseball stadiums your family yes. has visited in the U.S. You can, you know, it could literally be anything. Um, And I think it's just fun. You know, I think it's an opportunity to show your personality and again, engage with the Wake Forest community because they're looking for students who see this essay and they're like, oh, that's kind of fun. Right, right. And if, you know, I
1: think I always think about when I'm working with a student who's thinking about this and nothing comes to mind for them, I think, well, what are the things, those quirky things, right? Like, oh, you love ice cream. How about your top 10 ice cream flavors. How about your top 10 ice cream parlors that you've ever visited? Um, how about your top 10 ice cream toppings that you could do, right? There's so much, and that. but you do wanna make sure, obviously, that it relates to you, that it's sharing this quirky little part of your personality. I worked with a student once who was really fascinated by weather. She didn't apply to Wake Forest, but based on the conversations I had with her, if she had and she had said, I don't know what to write about, what are you thinking? I would have said, how about your top 10 cloud formations? Because she was sort of like obsessed with that. I don't know if there are 10, but (laughs) if there were, she could have written about that. Your, Your top 10, she loved country music. Her top 10 favorite country songs, which was sort of odd for at the time for a, a teenage girl from Massachusetts to love country music. But she did. Right. So think about like, who, who am I? Who do? And I, I would say that this is a, this is advice that I give to every student when they're starting to work on supplements. Who are you to the people who know you best? What are they? What are those quirky, weird things that they know about you? Fun things Those can be really nice things to bring out in supplements if you get the opportunity. And to me, this is a perfect opportunity to do that. I agree.
4: I like to think about what my answer would be, and it changes from year to year. Right now, I think my my list would be top 10 reasons why Halloween is the best holiday.
0: Okay. Or fall is
4: the best season, something sure. to that effect. Um, and I'd list all the reasons why, because I love the fall. I love Halloween. I adore living in Massachusetts and seeing the leaves change colors, but it's a pretty big statement to say that Halloween is the best holiday of all of them. Right. So, you know, it would just be kind of something fun that both me as a writer, I think I'd enjoy writing, but also me as an admission counselor reading would be kind of fun to to explore as well.
1: Well, and I do love that. And I like it also because it's a little bit more unique. And I would encourage if if a student was thinking, oh, that fits me, that almost rather than fall, the Halloween one is the better one because it's the more unique one, right? I think about what I would write. I do the same thing. And part of me is like, oh, I would probably do like my top 10 favorite books. Well, I mean, geez, anybody can do their top 10 favorite books. I am telling them that I love to read and I have a top 10 list of books, but they've already asked me about the books, So, you know, maybe I would do something quirkier like top 10 movies, that were made from books that are better than the books they came from. Or, uh-huh. and I would put at the very top of the list, the notebook, which I found unreadable, but the movie is awesome. <laughs> Probably because, you know, you got Ryan Gosling and you don't have Ryan Gosling in the, in the book. It does not hurt. He, he does right. not hurt. Exactly. But, you know, things like that, like how do you make it really specific to you That is the key to success for for this one and then actually for any of the supplements that you're going to work on when you're going through this. Um, Christine, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. It was such fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Um, For those students who are saying, well, I'm not applying to Wake Forest. Are you going to talk about other schools? Indeed, we are. In fact, um, next week we're actually going to be talking about the uh, supplements for the University of Chicago. And if you have if you are applying to University of Chicago and you've checked those out, you know that they are quirky. So you probably are going to want to come and hear that conversation. I'm not hosting. Sally is hosting with the added benefit that Sally used to work at the University of Chicago in admissions, so she can provide some additional insight. So I think that's one not to be missed. Um, We're also going to be talking about the CSS Profile. Today, we talked about FAFSA. The CSS Profile is another really important element to the financial aid process at many schools, 2 to 300 of them, so you're going to want to hear that. We're also going to be talking about reporting test scores. Should you report, should you not report? With so many schools being test optional, I would say that this is a question we are being asked over and over and over again. I would love to tell you this is going to be the definitive answer. Uh, Whether or not you feel that way, I don't know, but we're going to do our best. Um, And we're going to give you our thoughts about how to think through whether you should report your scores or not report your scores. And obviously, if you didn't take the test, then you're not reporting and you're good if they don't require them. And if they do, well, then I guess you better find somewhere else to apply. Um, Okay. I mentioned at the top of the podcast, please don't forget, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the way in which other people find us, and we want our reach to extend as far as possible. It's why we do these podcasts every week. We're just trying to get the word out. So anything you can do to help us figure that out would be great. Um, Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We are on LinkedIn. Um, And we are also, if you have questions, we answer those questions on a, not a weekly basis, but we do every, probably every three or four weeks, we do a whole section on answering listener questions. We don't have that many right now so send them you could send them on Facebook on Instagram you could do them uh, you could send them to us via email getting at gmail.com again it's getting at gmail.com and don't forget we are here every Thursday 4 p.m Eastern and 1 p.m Pacific.